that's how you roll in right there. Back from holiday and Christmasing, time to reflect and also rejoice. It's the RD, which stands for Rinky Dinking, Rockin' New Year's Eve special. <laughs> this year, extra spectacular, Tootsie, or as I like to refer to it, espacular. Especially spectacular. Because like the millennials, you can't just use... Well, millennials go the other way. They, 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 they do the RD thing. Yeah. Whereas old farts, like myself, tend to combine words. Make ginormous words? Yeah, that don't make any sense, which is just old guy and his moccasins wandering around the house. Anyway, it's the end of the year, but also the end of the decade. So let's start with our, or your, best of the 2010s, as I think it's, it's apropos that we unpack, if we can... All the things that have gone on are the highlights, maybe some lowlights of the decade that is about to uh, come to a conclusion here. And uh, there is a lot to parse and unpack here, Mike Heike. You and I have been a part of this thing. I think I'll just start with this, that it is amazing the number of people that have flowed through here in a 10-year span. On the ice, everybody except for the captain, Jamie Benn, like everybody. And then you move off the ice and there's been a lot of uh, water under the bridge in business and coaching and hockey, you know, all of it. So uh, anyway, uh, I'll let you have the floor if you want. I don't know how to really do this like a ladder system or something, but. Uh, I I, uh, looked at all the stuff last night and I was in, amazed because I went in thinking my my thought process was this is the the decade that tested your faith as a Stars fan because you haven't had a ton of success in the playoffs you had to go through bankruptcy and so I'm thinking okay well there's a lot of bad stuff here we're going to be looking at and I started unpeeling the pages and (laughs) if we're just looking for entertainment this has been really kind of fun I mean you brought in to start out with the Richards uh, Erickson Neal line Ribeiro scoring then you you know uh, you go to uh, Glenn Gullitson and Joe Newendike trying to hold on you think well that wasn't a very good and they actually won games they you know they were not horrible and they scored goals too and then you go on to the Lindy Ruff high flying Lindy Ruff circus and that wasn't horrible either so as you go through this and, and you know you think oh well this was nothing compared to the, the decade before or, you know, uh, even before that, uh, there was a lot of interesting stuff that, that came through here to at least keep us entertained. It was a journey. It was a journey. It was a very hip thing to say. Talk about your journey, right? And this, for, for fans, for media, uh, for all involved, it has been a journey uh, with this organization. And again, I, I've tried to hit sort of mileposts or, or uh, you know, highlights, probably not an accurate thing because there's some other things that have gone on within all of interest. But it, when you think of where this thing began at the beginning of the decade in bankruptcy, yep. I mean, there were 3,500 people in that building. And for Tom Gillardi to come in and buy the team, in November of 2011, I believe Correct. it was, when he finally took over. I mean, there was he was going to buy the team. It became pretty obvious. Yeah, it, they just handed a piece of paper to him from a uh, bank. And, and, I'll, and I'll, you know, <laughs> oh, true. I'll say this, though, because uh, I've got asked this, and it reminded me of back then. When the, when the league was running the franchise, outside of some – you know, the number of people that were employed and some of those other things, you really didn't feel like this was being taped together uh, and and held together with spackle and, and what have you. Like, it, it really didn't no. feel that way. Uh, now, it felt like some people were over their heads at times, uh, both on the business side and in the in the hockey side of things, but... Once Tom bought the team, and now you look back on his tenure as owner here, I mean, you couldn't ask for more in ownership than an owner that comes in and says, okay, what do you guys need? 
I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, behind the scenes, there's been some pain and arguments and what have you. But for the most part, you want an owner that says, what, what do you need to put a good product on the ice? Yeah. And he's, he's done that in spades. He's paid people. He's gone to the cap. Uh, all of it, and as we've documented here on Rinky Dinking, been very involved in in some of the other accoutrements yeah. around the organization, how they look, uh, sort of spirit of the thing, all while uh, conducting most of this from from Vancouver and employing really good people down here to be at the head of how this thing gets run from a business side, and and for me. If you look at the at the decade, the business side rocked. Yes, I mean t- that building is one of the best in the league from a presentation, from a population. I mean, it gets packed in there. The environment is terrific. Uh, what they've done off the ice around here with the organization, how it's grown. Uh, I don't know that it's been matched with the on ice, not for lack of trying. But it just hasn't happened as consistently as it has off the ice. Yeah. And it's funny because we go to Colorado or we go to Arizona. And, uh, you know, the other night in Arizona, it was packed. And we were a little bit surprised because it's just not usually packed. Every night you go to the AAC, it's packed. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And the energy's up. And like you said, I mean, the, you know, Groobs and the crew and Jeff Kay. And I mean, they're known throughout the league, the, the video board people, all of that stuff, all the stuff that supports the experience on the ice is regarded to be one of the best in the league. And I think that's kind of fun. I think, you know, you always say it, it's, you know, entertainment, it's infotainment, it's let's give them a show. And I think you do it. I think they do it. I think it's just great. Yeah. And and for the most part, the, the team's been a good home team. It had uh, some blips in there during the decade, but for the most part, they've, they've held their end of the bargain on, on home ice, but, Still, you don't you don't usually see this with a club that doesn't make the playoffs year after year after year. Right. Usually, it you know, oh yeah, well they've been a playoff team for four or five years. Understandably, people are on board, expectations they're building towards something. This has been a little more lurchy in that regard, and yet they've come out in droves and been so passionate uh, and so want this thing to happen here. Right. And which has been in some ways probably an obstacle that everyone wants to maybe in some ways get ahead of themselves uh, as they try to build this thing the the so that was you know 2011 2012 the new uniforms you know and i i was a part of that joe newendike was was a big part of that we had a lot of meetings mm-hmm. about how to change uh, the uniform and obviously tom gallardi was at the head of that he didn't like the way it looked and and it just refreshed everything didn't it yeah and nailed it yes. couldn't have nailed it more no well, it's funny, red, white, and blue. I think that would have been the... the... Uh, true. <laughs> Just no, no. I, I thought about it the other night again. I was like, uh, you know, because again, in in, in uh, sports cities, you have two options. One is all of you are the same right? or everybody's different. It seems to be yep. in general. So you just think, well, the, the Cowboys obviously are blue. Mavs are pretty blue. There's a lot of blue in the Rangers. It made sense. It would, I think it really actually would have looked good. The, the great thing is, and I give a lot of credit to Walsh, uh, your good friend and everything, is that like Jason Walsh, the uh, big shot who uh, had a hand in that, who I think it was Very elevated so. to like uh, uh, semi-president or something like that during the I don't know if that's a position, but I know, I'm joking. Semi-president. Semi-president. Oh, are you the semi-president? <laughs> I'm the faux president. Uh, but just watching the process, I think that he kind of went through, I think you helped with it and everything like that. It was extensive. I think I helped with well, again, you my did. God, help. if you were in those meetings, you'd know that I. It was you. Basically, took point on all of that. Well, my point of view came from Jason Walsh telling me how great he was. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but just seeing the process of everything that you went through, how thorough it was, um, and we've seen with things like the Muterus that hey. <laughs> you can you can be work no, really hard and fail. It's a different decade. <laughs> Stay in the 2010s. I know, but I'm just saying the the amount of work that went in. You're right. They yeah. nailed it. Yeah, they did. Uh, it seems weird to look at. It's so drab looking at the old uniforms. The black ones. Man, it looks drab. <laughs> Even the white ones. Like, yeah, like these things. Basketball uniforms. <laughs> so th- there was a pretty significant trade in the summer of 2013. Uh, Tyler Sagan comes to town. This was the first big, bold move of the new regime uh, in, in management. And what a what a decade-defining 
trade that yes. one was. Well, and it's funny because I, I gave Joe a hard time and I think he was frustrated by it is that, you know, one, I didn't think Jamie Ben should be playing center, although he was a very good center. And two, why can't you just go get a center? Yeah. And and he couldn't. He re- I think he tried. And then Jim Nell comes in and gets not just a center, gets that center and then follows it up with Spetta, you know, a year later, whatever. And yeah. off you go. The the timing of things and you know they were mad at Tyler and Boston and and the stars had a lot of assets yeah. to give uh, you don't get players like like him without having a lot in the cupboards to be able to offer to the other side so he comes in and we get Bennigan immediately and you know it was it was intoxicating those four years with Lindy Ruff at the helm because I mean they just went wheel squealing at the opposition way more interested in the opposing net than their own net correct it's like we have a goalie you know (laughs) we'll say hi to Kari at the beginning of the game and then we'll see him again after and that was about it uh but it set up some uh you know some magnificent offensive numbers and nights Uh, the six-point game for Ben he and Sagan went nuts against the Flames they chased an awful lot of goaltenders during that that time uh and then in 2014 there was the madonna uh, number retirement yep which was a, a phenomenal event it really was i mean that player and uh again back to jason walsh who who put that t- show together and all the icons of sports that were at that here that that was that was a good night for the old d stars that one yeah I and mean, the only thing and i'm always the wet blanket here i just wish you would have stayed here the whole time yeah uh, I know. that would have been nice but again the bankruptcy i think affected that i think had tom hicks been here they would have found a dirk you know way of dirking him out of here and, and then that would have been great <laughs> hold it they were gonna do a what <laughs> you know dirk that- <laughs> You people. I can't believe this. Uh, but that would have been nice. But the fact that he came back, the fact that I think he got that hug from the city of Dallas yeah. uh, was a really nice moment. Yeah. Yeah. He's I a still, bit of a crier, that Mike Madonna. I know. <laughs> I, I still I, I still miss him around here, you know. It's it's still kind of a weird thing that yeah. he's in Minnesota. At least he's in Minnesota, yeah. but he's in the wild organization. I, I it, Just a little aside, I was looking the other night with the announcement of Zubov getting hired and Colorado was in town and you looked at the two organizations and you think back to, you know, way back to the two uh, seven-game series in 99 and in 2000. And the only guys remaining from those two are Joe Sackick, who's the general manager... Right of the avalanche and now Zubov who's a senior advisor here and just for days now so it's amazing how time marches on and we'll march on through the uh, 2010s uh, to 2015 and uh, Jamie Ben and an Art Ross I mean for I asked him his highlights the other day and you know Jamie's so quick to point out uh, things that you and I wouldn't point out the last thing on earth he would point out would be winning the Art Ross and winning a scoring title because right. it came in a non-playoff year. That's all that really matters right. to him. And the way it unfolded in in the final game, it gave a little little punch to the off season, and uh, it was fun. It was great for him. People like to talk about how there was only an eighty-seven point. It was whatever. I mean, right. win the game you're in, right? right. Yeah, he was the best in the league. Yeah. Uh, the moment for me was looking at Jordy. And I think Jordy reflected all of the teammates. Because Jamie's not going to get excited about himself. But boy, his, sure, his yeah. teammates sure get excited yes. about playing with Jamie Ben. And the look on Jordy's face that my brother just went and won the Art Ross trophy, like it was pretty cool to see how much respect Jamie Ben has in that locker room. Wasn't that funny that Jordy and Jamie, their mother gave him visors for Christmas? And. I don't think they're going to be wearing I asked them. Jamie, I asked Jamie right away. I was like, so, I mean, that's a not so subtle hint from mom that maybe you should slap a window on your on your helmet. And he's like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. I said, well, which one you would be more uh, likely to, to put it on? He goes, I don't think either of us are. So it, it pushed me down a, a wormhole trying to figure out uh, how many guys are still wearing right. them. And it only came in in 2013, 
where every player in the league has to wear a visor coming right. in now because they all wear them in amateur hockey. But when it came in, do you remember the rule? We were laughing about it in the room Mm-mm. the other day, speaking of Jordy. So guys that had 29 games in the National Hockey League got grandfathered in that they didn't have to wear a visor. And it wouldn't odd number yeah, right to pick that 29 one. games so if you track it back Jordy had played 29 games in the National Hockey League at that time so it's essentially or was right the Jordy Ben rule yeah to allow him and Jamie obviously right. to not, not wear to wear visors and they continue on now so I asked we, we were debating this thing when I told uh, Jamie how funny that was got posted and his mom gave him that and his belief was that there are basically two guys on every team that are still wearing visors and I said I think you're really high and he was like, there's no way. So then he started to try to go through teams. <laughs> you you sent him to the computer. Yeah, yeah. No, no. We were just standing there. He was trying okay. to do it in his head. And he's like, well, okay. So he'd name a team and he'd say, there's so-and-so. And then he'd be like, okay, well, there's only one there. And then he'd move on to another team and well, nobody there. And I said, yeah, I think you're I think you're high. So we did the research on it. Do you realize there were only 20 guys in the league? Wow. Now Who don't wear visors. That, that don't wear a visor. 20. That's and amazing. the... Stars have have two of them, uh, Roman Polak and Jamie. Yeah, and and it just it's pretty soon everyone's going to have a window on. It's going to be interesting to see who the f- final guy yeah. is. It was Craig McTavish, right, the with last the helmet player not to wear a helmet and play. A- Andy Brown, the last goaltender to not wear a mask and play. Wow! And uh, pretty soon we're going to get the last guy. We got off topic here. That's okay. People uh, love us. Okay, where are we at? We're at twenty fifteen. Yeah, twenty sixteen. That was a blast. Uh, make an impactful move in the summertime to bring in Patrick Sharp and Johnny Oduya from the Stanley Cup champions. And they immediately gave this club exactly what they needed. Yes. Some guys with some lines under their eyes, championship pedigree. This is how you get it done. Uh, and they just hit the gas and went nuts that year. They had two goaltenders that won 25 games. Had ugly numbers, but it didn't matter. No. The only thing that mattered was 25 games. They were a 50-win team and yeah. won the division. And I remember, you know, games like Vancouver, or Calgary, or Winnipeg, where it really was 6-4 hockey, and boy, how fun is that to watch? I remember the, I don't know if it was this year or not, with uh, Kari sitting on the net or whatever at the end. Yeah. <laughs> it may have been a different year, but I mean, that was the tone of the time, is that, you know, that's, yeah, I'll just be back here if you need me. <laughs> yeah. They had some swagger. No, no question about that. <laughs> but it was you're right i mean that was yeah. uh, i remember i think it was that the year both Yanmark and hemsky were healthy and they would blow the zone on each wing and i mean it was like having two deep threat wide receivers they stretched the defense oh, in a look, neutral zone bringing it, bring back, it back to, to texas football. that's beautiful yeah. that's right. totes likes football uh that year ended uh not so well in a game seven against st louis that's the other thing that sticks out for me in the in the decade a couple of game seven losses against the blues yep. the one the one at home that year was one of the most gutting, uh, eviscerating hockey contests that I think I've ever witnessed. Yeah. Because there was so much expectation. They finally got back. The city was going nuts. The building was full of expectation. And it was over in 15 minutes. Yeah. Well, and the fact that Kari was so good in game six, basically stole game six. Oh, yeah. And so then you're like, well, we got that almost, I remember after it, we're thinking, I, I wish they'd have just lost in game <laughs> six. Really? And yeah. I'm not kidding. No, it would have been. It, because it, it left such a bad taste on everyone uh, heading into the summer. And you're wondering, like, how do you come back from this? And Hitch is throwing, you know, roses at the stars after it. Uh, talking about they're the future of yep. the league, and, and he was the future head coach of the Dallas Stars. Who knew that yeah. then? Uh, and then obviously last year, the game seven, they go to double overtime, lose. There's nothing wrong no. with losing to the eventual Stanley Cup champs, who are not backing off this year, by the way. Uh, a lot of head coaches in the decade. Think about it. Like Lindy Ruff was here for four years, and yet they've they've still had six different head coaches in ten years. Yeah. That's too many. Some interesting ones too. No, that, but that. No, I agree with you. That's too many. That's way too many. Yeah, and you know your organizations usually don't get their footing when you're 
have that much change going on. Yeah. And a uh, weird one, obviously, this year. Yeah, I was going to say, the sad part of that one is I think <clears throat> the whole process to get that guy was to get a guy for eight or ten years. And so then that the fact that it didn't work out really is frustrating. Yeah, eight or ten years is a long time. In this it thing. is, I know. But that I think the thought process was we're going to get a young guy who's going to grow with this group and he's going to be here yeah. and he's going to succeed and we won't need another coach. Well, I mean, if you look at from a coaching perspective, they went from – uh, over their head. Well, first, it started with uh, Crow, I think, yeah. right? With Crow. And, you know, again, uh, that great quote from him to me about coaching. Razor, do you know what the key to coaching is? I was waiting, ears wide open, going to get some real pearls of wisdom from a, a great National Hockey League coach. And he goes, it's who gets off the bus after you. And I was like, you know, you're right. It's basically, do you have the horses or don't you? Right. And he didn't have the horses no. then. Got as much out of it as he could. Anyway, they move on. Glenn Galson was not ready to be a head coach in the National Hockey League at the time. Nope. And that was that was that time. Then you bring in a, a veteran coach with a offensive philosophy, and they have a good, good run in some ways. They were never going to win when – it mattered most. It didn't seem that way. Nobody outscores their issues come playoff time. Yeah, I agree. And uh, th- then they make a, a switch and they, they get back to uh, what they were in their heyday, which is a, def- a, a great defensive team. The last two years, you know, one of the very, very best. But it, it started with, uh, with Hitch. And it was carried on with with Montgomery, and it continues on now with with Rick Bonus. Uh, but that's man, that's that's a lot of player turnover, which is semi normal in this league now, and a lot of bench turnover. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, y- you would have liked that the Lindy situation would have worked out because at least they seem to have their identity, and maybe you couldn't win with it, or you know. So, so then you go back to that. Okay, so was it failed from the start? It sure was fun in the process. But then you're like, okay, that last year, was that exactly what was going to happen to this team? You know, especially if you didn't have top five goaltending. I mean, you, if you're going to go the other way and score like that, you kind of need somebody back there. And, yeah. and Kari, they left Kari out to Oh, drive. my God, do you yeah. think? And so it's only one Dominic Hasek on I know. the planet. <laughs> but it, it, the, you're right. There's, that's yeah. way too many coaches, and we don't know where it's going to go from here. No, no. Uh, and you know, in, in fairness to them, when you don't have success, that usually breeds that. It's right. very catch twenty two y, isn't it? Yep. Uh, and then finally, as we as we wrap it up, unless you have other things no, no. that come to mind, it's some uh, heartbreaking, hard involved, uh, gut punchy stuff that happened off the ice during the decade as well. Starting with Rich Peverly. Yep. Man, that night. That night was incredible, and to have a have that happen, and then had to play the next night in St. Louis, and thank God Rich is is fine now, yeah. ended his career, had a, a hard episode on the ice, basically had to revive him in the tunnel. It's nuts when you think back to it. Yeah, the fact that it all turned out okay for Rich and that he, everything is going well, you can now go back and tell the story of just how wonderful people like Dave Zeiss and Craig Lowry mm. and the support team and like the way they reacted to that doctors. and the way yeah the doctors that were there. I mean, like nobody's at a hockey game thinking they're going to have to revive a guy. But and, what isn't it interesting to look back on the on the uh, evolution of that kind of rinkside triage yes. that was not in place no. until Yuri Fisher collapsed on the bench in Detroit. And that changed things a little bit more to where they, I think that was the one that moved doctors down that right. the league mandated. You had to have doctors within 20 feet or something of your bench. So that's where their seats are. Well, now you push forward to Rich Peverly. They were right there. Right. They were administering uh, life-saving CPR to him in a matter of seconds when they moved him off the bench and uh, defibrillators uh, everywhere now yep. uh, has come from that 
Like it's and training too, I think, for other people. True, you know. So yeah. like everybody is prepared for it now, and it, so it, it's as bad as it was. I think you can look back and say this has been a good thing in getting these people one seeing the experiences that they have, and then two saying other people have to be trained just as well. Nice to have Rich in the yes. organization. He's such a good human being uh, in uh, the player development side of things. My old friend Dave Strader. You know, I had such such a great season with him. Uh, and then, yeah, he was sick during that series against St. Louis, and uh, he was having all kinds of problems. Almost didn't call Game Six when we were in St. Louis, and being the you know human that he is and the pro that he is, he fought through it. I don't think he slept the night before. Yeah. Called the game. We called Game Seven. He was going to go in and find out what we, what was going on down there, and he gets that diagnosis that he had cancer, <clears throat> and uh, you know was given. 13 months and basically got 13 months right and uh and dave was gone so uh that was way too way too short yeah um the, it's funny this is it's an odd way of looking at things but i think he appreciated it is that i had to do a story on the game he came back and called and i you know told him i could you were really good like i mean at your craft the craft that you've been working on your whole life you know it's a weird thing to say to somebody who is dealing with what he's dealing with but i said you were just really good broadcasting that game and i think he said you know i, I wanted to be good uh, you know that was three hours where i didn't have to forget didn't have to think about all this other stuff that was yeah. going on i could just do what i loved to do and I, I thought he was really good in that last game and which i think is a a neat thing for him to have that ability to do that well there's no no surprise whatsoever so we you know craig ludwig and i picked up the pieces afterward and and continued on for uh the year that he was sick with the intent that he was going to come back right. and carried on again after that i've had a few partners too there during the uh last stages of the decade now, is that the way to run a broadcast and I, well <laughs> yeah uh and then obviously the the two things that have happened the last two decembers the comments that just i mean shook the hockey world and still i, th I think to the day would be the low point for the individuals correct that called out got called out last year uh by jim lights and you know, we everyone's moved on from it. It's pretty amazing how uh, things moved on from that afterward. Uh, but it still happened. Yep. Doesn't, doesn't change that. And then obviously this year with the stunning firing of of Jim Montgomery, just out of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, and again, the ability to move on. It's pretty resilient organization in the 2010s. If you look yeah. back on the. Uh, grand scheme of things the process of having to show up and practice and play a game helps i think yeah. like i mean so there's a schedule and you like you're not going to deter it's like us getting on a plane or a bus or whatever you're not going to be late you better be on yeah. that bus you better be on that plane and it's the same thing with these guys you know you have to move forward they don't give you a whole lot of choice no that's part of being a pro right yeah and and in again as you stated at the beginning of this you don't want it to be dull and vanilla right. year after year. This has been a pretty fascinating decade of hockey and business and, and really life in North Texas from 2009 to 2010 to now 2020 in a couple of days. Yeah. And then ending it or, you know, starting it again with the Winter Classic. It's pretty cool. That's next year. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, that's why. Wait, wait till next year. That's a good break in this. Is that it? Do you have anything to unpack? No. Anything more? Totes, you got anything? Nothing. I think uh, that's it. Where were you in 2010? Well, I did. I mean, not to brag, but I did graduate high school and college this decade. <laughs> not, to, not to brag. How was that? How is that bragging school? You're supposed to do those things, aren't you? Okay, well, congratulations. Where did you go to school again, Totes? Greatest university on the planet, Texas A&M. Is that the Texas A&M University? All right. we, we need to take a break so that he can saw it off here. Why don't we saw it off right there? Okay. Come back. Everyone's been talking about all-decade teams on the interweb. Let's come back and name our stars all-decade team.
All right, our all-decade reporter, no doubt, would be Mike Heike. I'm here. Covered things, and you're still here. You were at the beginning. That's it. It's, it's more attendance yeah, for you and I right. than it is quality of our work. Uh, but it was quality of work that put these uh, six guys on my all-decade team. Oh, you team. only six. I went, all, <laughs> I went online and everything, but I'll go with you. Oh, I, I'm fascinated by that. <laughs> I was, That's I was a confused. lot. Usually... <laughs> Like an all-star team at the end of the year yeah, doesn't include like twenty you don't have three your, guys your on a roster. Line, you don't Mike. have your fourth line center. No, I, I didn't go that deep. Wow, you really put in some work on the plane on our way back from the desert last night. So let's start uh, in goal. Okay, and it, it's impossible to overlook the impact of Kari Lettinen during the decade. It, as great as this duo has been at the end of it in Bishop and Hudobin and Ben Bishop being a finalist for the uh, Vezina last year. Yep. And, you know, Kari was never in that conversation just because, of, uh, for the most part, the style that the Stars played was right. never g- going to put your goaltender into that category. Uh, but, I mean, he, he he was there. He was like a great drummer in a band. That, that band sometimes was a little off-key, but he was just banging out the beat back there over and over and over again. And uh, he's he's my guy. Yeah, I'll go with him too. And and partly because of what he did to himself as far as he was a chubby goalie who didn't really seem to want to dig in and work when he got here. And he turned himself into, I think, one of the hardest working goalies around. Well, I think that changed, though, with the back surgery. And he understood right. that uh, he was going to have to change things. And, and Joe Noondike traded for him. That was the that was the end of, of the Marty Turco era. Yep. And I think he came in that first year, played like 12 games or something like that, and then took over after. And, uh, I mean, there were some miraculous performances within uh, his tenure as a Dallas star and then had to reinvent himself as a, as a backup, essentially, right. uh, at the tail end of it. But no question that he, he's the guy. On defense, John Klingberg, obviously. Yep. Uh, third highest score on the club. Forget about position yeah. during the decade. I remember when he arrived, when he got he got called up. I think he played uh, 65, 66 games or something that year. Well, he had that, that one he, stint in the AHL where he had like 15 points the, in eight like games. The first, wasn't it like the first 15 games yeah. or something like that, right? It, it was, you're just like, oh, this guy's ready to be yeah, called I think, up. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's NHL ready. So he comes up and the Stars power play looked like uh, it was going to score every now and then. And then, boom, all of a sudden it looked like a weapon every time they trotted out on the ice with him. Yeah. And the other interesting thing, I know fans you know, get all mixed up on the analytics of things, um, but SAT or Corsi, shots, four shots against when you're on the ice. So people say, well, he doesn't defend very well. He's too skinny. He can't push people around. In the playoffs. Sinewy, not skinny. skinny. Yeah, it's like right. totes. Yeah. Look at Totes, a powerful beast is what he is. Uh, but last year in the playoffs, uh, the SAT for the Stars, he was plus 72. Jamie was second at plus eight. Meaning so. Look at you with the analytics. But I, it was so, I mean, like it jumped off the page when you're looking for stuff. Like, And he was that way for, I think, four or five years where he was hundreds of uh, plus better than the, the next guy. Well, beyond the the numbers that back things up, just the eyeballs. Yeah. He, he's so enjoyable to watch play the game because he's he's massively creative. He's the prince of percipients, right? He's the Duke of Dangle. He's the sultan of sagacity. He's all those things. And he loves the stage. Yes. He really does. It's been a it's been a rough little uh, trip at times here uh, recently, but he, he's starting to, to me anyway, he's starting to look like he's coming out of whatever little shroud crowd, uh, cloud that, that he's had to uh, plow through since he came back from injury. But whatever, that's the near side. The, the overall is, is just phenomenal. I just think of all the, you know, overtime goals and setups and power play work and and a better defender than people give him credit for the other thing i think you see with him is he really cares like you oh, know, yeah. it's hard to read emotion on players sometimes because they are they have to play so many games you're right he really wants to win games he's a terrific spokesman yeah i mean after games like i'd rather listen to him than almost anybody on the yeah. team explain what went on good or bad right uh he does terrific work uh off the ice yes so much charity work. i know 
And he's a good human, yeah. good man, and a great player. So who's his partner? I'm going back to the guy we saw last night. Yeah. Alex Olagoski. Uh, when those two were together, they were really good. The and, goose. Yes. And I and I look back at, at what Alex did, and he was a really solid, steady defense. He led the team, I think, three or four years before uh, Klingberg got here in Time on Ice. Uh, and maybe even the first year or two that he was Klingberg leading him last night in the yeah, desert. It was him and uh, in Haskinen. Yeah, and I mean he really he's a good defenseman. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, you sit there and say, "Well, he's small. He can't, you know, win physical battles in front of that." He doesn't have to. He's smart enough to to play well in the entire scope of the game. Yeah, yeah. I I was between him or Trevor Daly. I like Trevor Daly Tre- a lot too. Trevor just wasn't here long enough in right. this decade. So weird thing because there were a lot of guys who were split between. Mid this decade and back in the yeah. in the aughts, I think it's called. <laughs> but I I did the same thing. I was like Goose, you know, came over from Pittsburgh in that in that trade that made James Neal and and uh, Matt Niskanen Penguins uh, came in and they, I mean they leaned heavily on him year in and and year out. And the guys all talk about how important he was in the room to the group. Yes. That I don't, I don't think anybody uh, really recognized how important he was within the community. Yeah, in and the, I think he helped make John a better player that first couple of years, and that we're still enjoying that now. Well, John probably doesn't agree with you. <laughs> it was all John. Knowing John, John made, made like, I was a great a player. player. <laughs> I don't need anybody uh, up front. The two guys are easy, right? Yeah. We can we can blow through the e- Sagan. Eakin and Ott. I mean, I think they have to be. There. <laughs> Uh, Sagan and Ben. Yes. I mean, Jamie's the only guy, again, that was a Dallas star from the beginning of the decade all the way through it. Uh, and then who do you fill the line out with? See, I went with all lines, but now that I look who at Who are it, your right wingers? That was hard. Gosh, that was hard. Go ahead. I went Radulov. I moved Erickson to the right wing, even though he wasn't there very yeah. long. Uh, then I moved Eakin to the right wing, and then it was either Sharp or Eves. You're a terrible I'm player, a terrible personnel, player personnel director, I can tell but you we that. But there were no right wings. It's Radulov and Val. He was here for like 200 games, right? Was he? <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember the first year um, as a rookie. If I have to, so I So you went go- with Radulov? I did. Spetsa, I think, would be the Three other. years. I know, but... Of 10. I've got Haskinen in here on the second pair, so that tells you how much I have recency yeah. bias. Well, that's fine. I mean, you can be wrong in this. Uh, that's that's what no, lists are for. It, it's Louis Erickson. Okay. It, 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 it's Louis you have to include him in there on two different levels. Okay. One is performance. Yes. He was a led the team in scoring like he, three years in a row. He's a fantastic player and major reason why Tyler Sagan became a Dallas star. <laughs> that is, it's a smart move on your yes, part. I know. What about Raddick? Raddick what? <laughs> he has like 400 games in there in the decade. He's been around for a while. Foxa? Yeah. 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 Vern? Oh, oh you're going down your list I'm now? I'm just saying, you, you know, know what? We've for, got other options there. For time, I think. I think we let's, should skip. Let's edit forward. this for time, Toad. That's it. <laughs> that, okay, so we're we're in lockstep with one another on most. Yeah. Just the other winger with Bennigan. Yeah. And that's it. It's not bad. Not bad. Uh, Want to talk about the current team and where we're at right now, and then we'll bang out a couple quick things and get out of here. Yeah, let's do it. Sound good, Totsy? Play some music. And we'll talk on the other side. You held your head like a hero. Book page. It was the end of a decade, but the start of an age. Long All right, we talked about the decade, talked about the all-decade team. What about the current Dallas Stars Club? Limped into the Christmas break like an old arthritic dog, but have appeared on the other side uh, rally cats after the back-to-back come-from-behind victory. See how I use the dog and the cat analogies there. Speaking of that, I'm big on the sidebar asides in, in this week's Rinky Dinky. 
Did, there was a uh, terrific analogy about offense and defense that came across my my desk, and basically it was cats are like your offense. They're there. You don't you don't see them all the time. You you can't rely on them for anything. Can't can't quite understand. Them. You don't know. They're aloof, <laughs> right? They'll just appear all of a sudden. You're like, oh yeah, nice, and then you can't find it for a little while, right? Yeah. That's a cat. That's your offense. Your defense is your dog. Your defense is there time in and time out, lays right at your feet. It'll protect you. Anybody tries to attack you, it's always in protect mode, but it is your best friend. That explains Roman Polak. Isn't that a phenomenal? (laughs) That's the first time I've ever heard that. Have you ever heard that? I did. I heard on uh, the ticket the other day when uh, Daryl Ray was telling me about this Don't do that. It, no, when you said it the first time, I'm going like, that is genius. I thought it was great. How, how did I not come up with that? Yeah, I could have just stole it and made it my own, know, but at least yeah. I said it came from someone else, sort of. Uh, so what do we have here with the Dallas Stars as we approach the Winter Classic <laughs> in mid-season? I'm in the first period writing how terrible they are. Well, they weren't very good. No, and you're just like, so what is this? Why can't they Why can't they hold a team under 20 shots a period? And, you know, just going down the whole list of what yeah, their problems I, are, and then all of a sudden they turn it around. I think whoever was counting uh, shots there been, might yeah. have had a bit of a tick in their in their wrist or something, though, too. It was I, boom, boom. I talked to the I talked to Jeff Reese, and he said they had chances against almost even. He goes, I, he goes, I get it. You know, shots are shots, and you're going to keep them, and people are going to talk about them. He goes, but we had in the first period that the chance were almost even and and he goes that's what we worry about and so I always argue against that one and I understand it all coaches really lean heavily on chances nowadays yeah. way more than anything else and you know we can all sit there and go well geez it was a barrage of shots and this and that the chance of bad things happening tend to go up though when you're allowing the other team to pepper Correct. your goal yes whether no matter where it's from uh, now, they're pretty good at, at flushing to the outside. And there was a lot of long shots on, on Anton. And Anton plays a style that is conducive to another shot and then another shot. Uh, although he got a lot more tidy as the game moved along. But in the first period, he was pretty scrambly back there. Pucks were ripping all over the place. Big, buxom, rotund, husky rebounds. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the coaching change that Rick has always coached defense and he's coached penalty killing. Of course, he's going to lean toward that side of the puck more so than guys that can score or are going to be flighty or uh, aren't as responsible defensively. Yeah. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that. Yeah, and I think, you know, I read Twitter and get responses from fans, and I know fans are very, for the example... You're of, a real conduit between the fans I am. I'm trying to. I try to help out. You know, it is, you know, you try to help out the fans. They're there, right? Mm-hmm. They want... They want their They're important. Say, it's the they're only important. reason why we're here. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Uh, but... Kind of, sort of? What does that mean? They're okay, you know. <laughs> I can You're do a contradiction. Thing. I'm a lot like... Are the, they the reason for your existence, I'm, or are they kind of, sort of? I, I'm a lot like John Klingberg. This is all about me. Oh, okay. <laughs> of course it is. They are there to support me. You. Okay. See how that works out for you in the 2020. <laughs> I want to see what Twitter is going to be saying about yeah. that when the podcast comes out. Um, but they were very upset on the three-on-three the other night when we start out with Lindell and who was a Como and Foxa, I think. And the thought yeah. process was, this three-on-three, go score a goal. And I get... Rick's reasoning on this. They've got Nathan McKinnon on the ice. Do I really want to let him just go crazy? Why not put somebody out there who might be able to slow him down? Then after they get through that shift, fine. We'll put our offensive players out there. And then, so I know his Well, that was part of it. Part of it was a reward for those guys too. for those guys playing well. I I appreciate that in a coach. That's old school coaching. And sometimes it's not going to work out. Right. But in the long run, I think it does where uh, it's a meritocracy. Right. And those guys did an unbelievable job against McKinnon in that line all game long. And you can't do that and then sit there once you get into three on three and go, right. okay, job done. Yeah. You guys are just going to sit and cool your heels now. So gave them an opportunity. Yeah. And there have been times, when, well, dating back to the Arizona Coyotes, who would have ever thought Adrian Acoin was going to be the king of shootouts? Right. But he was. Yep. He's got the greatest percentage. Stay-at-home defenseman for the most part. 
in his career, but he has the best percentage of shootout goals scored by a defenseman in NHL history. Yeah. So, yeah. The second part of that is, uh, you know, you'll hear a lot about the FCC line and being out there too much or they're leaning on him. I do see shifts where they're spending all their time in the offensive zone and they don't create a scoring, you know, a scoring chance or a shot on goal, but they also prevent the other team from even getting over center ice. Yeah. And so then that feeds into the shot differential is going to be there, but there's also times when you're doing a really good job of staying in the offensive zone and not getting a shot on yeah. goal. You're getting away from my question here. Though. Which was? Where are we? Oh. That's a good question. Uh, I think this all leads into where are we? Because I well, I'm do, hoping it leads somewhere. I do the, okay. think the number one thing circuitous route. To and your and point. he will hate me to say this, but I think the number one thing is Rick Bonus and his management of the forwards and how he deploys them and and gives this team its identity. Because I think it's a huge part of the coaching business, and it's not a part that I believe he really. Like, he doesn't want to go win the chess match, I don't think. He wants to, his team to play its best hockey, and maybe that's how he thinks it's being played. But from what we've watched, like, Jim Montgomery loved the chess match. Ken Hitchcock loved the chess match. Rick's a different bird in that regard, and so I do think who this team becomes, a lot of it is centered on him. And he was funny last night. I asked him, so what did you do uh, You know, in the first intermission? He goes, well, it wasn't what I did. It's what they did. Yeah. And he's very big on that. This very is on the play. So. I said that right, right out of the yeah. gate when this coaching change came, that the philosophies are similar. The approach is different. And what, it, what I th- thought it would do, and I still think it will do going forward, and we saw it, I think, last night, yeah. a lot of I thinks, is that the the internal community will galvanize with one another. And you, your accountability will be player to player. Right. You have something special when you get that going on. You're just honesty from, from your coach, but not a, not a tamp down and not a directive all the time. It's about you guys. Yep. You know, whether it's trusting his number one goaltender, yeah, maybe some other coaches would have skipped to Anton Hudobin with Bishop struggling a little bit. No, I've known him a long time. I know what he is. He'll get himself out of this. I trust him. Him. Right. I trust my goalie coach. His pick. Do that. I trust my players. I trust my leadership. They'll get it done. There are going to be times when you trust them and they're going to blow up in your face. Right. But I, I, I think over the long haul, that pays dividends way more than when all the leadership and all the accountability is always coming downhill from the guys in suits. Yeah. That was yep. a strong statement. Was a strong you statement like that, Totes? I won this. Was, was this an argument? Or I don't think it was. I thought we were helping each other. Uh, you're right. You're right. I'm trying to set you up for the big one-timer. Yeah. I, I'll i say this. I really hope that that game, because it was such an outlier yeah. yesterday, to have that much emotion and physicality in an NHL game in 2019 is odd. Yes. It happens, uh, but not not as much as we would like. And the way that they they sort of bowed up and got chesty in the game, led by, by Jamie, that's his game. I don't know if he can do it night in and night out, but certainly did it last night. Yep. Maybe it was Marshawn Lynch coming back. You know, beast mode back. That's his team, the Seahawks. Maybe that drove him. I don't know, but it was it was awesome. You're riffing here, and I I just hope that my hope is that 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 produces something on them that stays. Yes, you know where they they stuck. You stick up for one another, and you and you fight for one another, and you're not going to take any guff from the other side, and you win. Correct. Well, and then I also think that feeds the offense. We're all sitting there talking about offense, offense, this, that, the other. But Sakara's play was that something that I was told in Edmonton he could do. We haven't seen that from him. And so when you. Well, one thing that's changed, and it was evident, there's no way they come back in that third period without their defenseman being more aggressive. And I thought they got stuck for a while here, uh, really for like a month or over a month, where. Every defenseman not named Miro Haskinen was very uh, conservative. Yeah, and John, John got almost scared at times. He, he yeah. was hurt first, but then. But understandably, yeah. I think they were trying to, you know, dial it back a little bit and get him to focus maybe more on the defending side of things. Anyway, they, I mean, all of them. Yep. It was it was Rig, obviously uh, Andre on that one. It was Roman Polak. The shift before set up Pavelski yep. right in front. You need that because, as I explained on the broadcast that very few people probably saw because there was football going on, 
but I killed it as I do. I don't care if there's two people watching. I bring it every single game. I think Jason Demir's family had something to say about that. that. Well, whatever. <laughs> I watched that again. I was just like, what is he doing? Jason jumping in there like he's going to go Jamie. It's like, please. <laughs> the uh, the idea that you're going to have three forwards somehow outcompete, outmaneuver, and ultimately outscore all five guys on the ice and the goaltender on the other side, because that's what you're dealing with right. from the top of the circles down. You, you can't. You have to intelligently get at least one of your defensemen involved in that so that you you level the numbers a little bit create some some checking issues on the other side and you, you you can score a little bit more and maybe not as not easily but your chances of scoring a little bit more go up yeah so that's anyway that's my thought i killed that segment uh you ready for the winter classic i am yeah me too we're gonna have a big post winter classic uh mid-season uh blow it out blowout rd in our next one whenever that is but tomorrow we go there and have a peek at it yeah media kind of a media day and then the big game where will you be uh for the game i think in the football press box that's what oh, I've are been in the past yeah where it's, are you gonna be weird. totes i'll be ice level shooting have you watched the nhl's production of okay we'll leave it at that i look forward to watching your uh your production a broader topic as we wind this thing down. Uh, in each of you, I want to hear from what will 2019 be known for? Oh, what it'll be known for? Ooh. What is the year of 2019 going to be known for? In the big picture? Yeah, that's what I just said. A broader topic. Impeachment. What? Impeachment. Oh, my God. He went, it's, he went political. It's the biggest. <laughs> He it's just the went thing straight. That everybody's talking political. about. It's the United States of America impeaching their president. I, I, I have no. You got the mic. I have no comments on that, Tahika. He's probably right, though. I mean, <laughs> I'm just his, his, <laughs> But he's probably right. Historically speaking, it's kind of a big deal. Now you I get maybe that it's you watch political. a little too much. Maybe I do. News. Okay. There's got to be. What you said. 2019? Post Malone? Is that what it's going to be known for? No. Po did Posty put out anything? No. no. Did, but... T Swizzle put out a new album. She did. And she, I think, performer of the decade. We're yeah, trying to I, stay, oh, yeah, hands down. Like, we're trying to stay just in uh, 2019. Hmm. I don't know. I, I just think it was a hors d'oeuvre for 2020. Potentially. Although I do say, if you're going to the sports scene, you got two historical comebacks from the blues and the nationals that i mean like if you just take a look at what they yes, did but if you're being sportsy if you're being sportsy yeah the, the year of the comeback the year of the underdog the year of the impossible or or you have a canadian team that won the nba championship that is Totes, i'm staring right at you it's lebron's birthday today by the way. it's also lebron's birthday today what is he like? Uh, Twenty five now or whatever? He snuck it in just under the bell. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, I you might you might be correct with that. Although I hate you for it. I know. Me too. Because I'm so tired of. It. I don't even watch that crap in the morning or in that anymore. Have you? I watch Good Morning Football. I do that. That's me. That's how I start my day. I'm I'm not that fanatical about football. I just think it's a great show. It's a nice way. It yeah. starts my day on a high. I laugh. It, good energy, good vibes. I like it that way. <laughs> so my 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 go to in 2019, when I roll out of bed, is to hit the Nespresso button, grab myself a little coffee, NFL Network, because I've already covered all the National Hockey League, and I enjoy Good Morning Football. Are you at one point in your life as from a, a broadcast perspective? That's what I'm saying. Because that's what I do. I I don't care so much about the actual activity. As as you get older, could you direct? Something, the future of sports broadcasting? I can do anything. I think my, you could. I'm, I'm just omnipotent. asking. You know that. I'm saying, is that something where you would actually step out of the camera and then start being the... Are you uh, trying to get me retired? Well, is that you know, doing? it's not me. It's other people that are trying to... Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> I wasn't aware of this. You could be the puppet master. You oh, could be okay. running the whole show and... I should be. Well, I sort of do that anyway. Yeah, you Even do. in my current role. I believe you Maybe. run the meetings. I don't know. I remember Aikman saying, I don't want to get old on television. 
And, and I, from a broadcast perspective, I think that's the worst thing you can do is get old on television. Yeah, I, there's some I remember that have not uh, aged well. Some that actually have. There are most. That have that's a topic well. for the future, but yeah. there there are a staggering number of broadcasters in sports on television in their 70s. Yeah. Like a lot. I know. You never, I don't think you had that in years past. For the most part, they all smoked, so they were all dead by the time they were in their 70s. Beautiful thought. They had better, <laughs> they had much better uh, voices and what have you, because they right. had that yeah. resonance from just hammering one cigarette after another. Unfiltered. Unfiltered. All right. 2020 is going to bring what? What are we looking forward to? What do you think the coming year is going to bring in your life, in Star's world, all of that? I'm hoping for... You guys are just like stumped on these. These are very simple questions. They're very simple questions. I'm hoping for consistent goodness because it's something we work for. I don't even know if that's proper English, but... It's it's not. Is it? Yeah. Isn't it consistent wellness? That that seems more like a... That's what I want. A health phrase. I want wellness. Yeah. I just, you work so hard to try and make things good, and so... You want it gooder or gooder estly est? I want the goodness to be good, a bow, but consistently, because so much of what we yeah, do... Yeah, but you're, you're, again, you're the biggest I contradiction in I know, podcast history. I know, because I like history. all that. Because you, you live for the ugly and the pretty, the positive and the negative, the up and the down. The contrast. And yet you want consistent goodliestness a bowl a tea. I really don't know what I want, do I? Well, I'll give you a second because Totes is going to tell us what he's looking forward to in 2020. I didn't realize you wanted something positive. You initially phrased oh, no, no, no. it as what's coming yeah, in 2020. Well, you said what what's coming in 2020, and that's continued global warming. Wow. Greta. Greta. Wow. See, and I'm the political one. No, yeah. it's the kids. It's always the kids. What you know? You're worried about global warming, and yet you're pounding white claws. What is white claw doing to help with global warming? Nothing. Aluminum cans and. Totes, are you really pounding it? Are you really pounding them? Yeah, I guess. Well, here. Uh, 2020 is going to bring, for me, perfect vision, and maybe a little bit of hindsight. Bang! There better be a rim shot after that on the podcast. Can you put that on a t-shirt? Post. You get it? 2020. Perfect it. vision. A little bit of hindsight. Because hindsight is 2020. And I believe in the optical world, 2020 vision is pretty good. It's not the best. 2015 is the best, right? It's probably what you have, 2015. And that was that was the Best year offensively for Jamie Benn. The eagle-eyed goalie. How about that as I brought it back around? Let's get out of here. Old friends, come to the end of another rinky-dinky, haven't we? Another year? Decade. Nay, another decade. Yes, Mike, thank you for reminding us. Uh, here's wishing all of you out there. I think we should, we should do this here at the end of the calendar year. Uh, wishing all of you who consume Rinky Dinking for some odd reason, whatever it is, whatever your vices are, a proud, prosperous, and very healthy, both in the physical and the mental, 2020. Wellness for all. It's time now for Alex Auld Lang Zai, as I like to refer to it. Remember Alex Ald? He's tall, he's bald, he's Alex Ald. I still love that line. Former Stars Netminder, by the way. Uh, the song itself, Old Lang Syne, asks, is it right that old times be forgotten? Is it? I think we've we posed that question this week in RD. Is it right to just move on and forget it and look forward? to the next calendar year. So let's all sing it together on our way out, shall we? You know the song. 
Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and old Of kindness yet for all land. 